You're listening to Comedy Central. Twitter has a new feature now where they're gonna let people fact check other people's tweets, which is, yes, another war that's about to start. I don't know why they're gonna do that. But apparently they're gonna let you like go like, no, this is not true. Actually read this article, here's the research, here's the thing, you know? I think that's a terrible feature for Twitter. I think that's a great feature for real life. I think in real life it would be great if we could like fact check strangers. That would be so, you know how many, how many times I'm in a restaurant and then I hear someone at the other table say some shit that's not true. And they're like, yeah, you know, actually Kiev, I don't wanna just lean over and be like, hey, Actually, Kev, Kev wasn't, it hasn't been taken over yet. Yeah, and by the way, it's not pronounced Bulabezi. It's Buyabez. All right, have a good night. By the way, he's been here three times this week and he's told women the same story. Coming to you from the heart of Times Square in New York City, the only city in America. It's The Daily Show, ears edition. Tonight, who's leaving Ukraine? The history of over-the-shoulder boulder holders. And Serena Williams. This is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to The Daily Show. I'm Trevor Noah. It is now day eight of Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine, and things are escalating quickly. So let's catch up on all the latest developments in our ongoing segment, War in Ukraine. Let's start off with the battlefield. As of now, that 40-mile-long convoy of Russian tanks and trucks is just sitting outside Kiev. That's all it's doing, it's just sitting there. And nobody knows why. Like, maybe they're waiting for the right moment to strike, or maybe someone double-parked their car in front and they have to wait for the driver to come and back it out and move it, nobody knows. But while that convoy has stalled, Russia has been ramping up its bombing of civilian areas, and they've captured at least one major city in South Ukraine. But despite seeing their country decimated by the Russian military, the Ukrainian people have still shown some remarkable compassion. And believe it or not, they've shown it to the Russian soldiers themselves. Among all the chaos in Ukraine, humanity still prevails. This video going viral this morning, appearing to show Ukrainians helping a captured Russian soldier, giving him tea and food, and allowing him to call his mother to tell her that he's okay. You see him right there in the hat? The soldier is seen fighting back tears, apparently telling his mom he didn't want to be there. Ukrainians on social media are telling Russian soldiers if they surrender, people will feed them and take care of them. Wow. Look, man, I, I don't know all of them, but right now Ukrainians seem like some of the best people in the world. They're standing up to one of the biggest militaries on the planet. And on top of that, they've captured an invading soldier and they're giving him food and drink. You don't see humanity like that in war. In fact, you don't even see humanity like that on Twitter. Yeah, like one time I said hot dogs weren't sandwiches and I still get death threats to this day. I mean, look at that soldier, just look at him. Like, they're giving him sustenance and letting him FaceTime his mom. Do you know, do you know what that means? Like, do you know, like, you know you're being treated humanely when the worst part of being a prisoner of war is trying to get your mom off the phone. Yes, yes, I am safe, mom. Yeah. No, no, I didn't hear about Linda at the office. Yeah, listen, mom, I have to go. I'm still in war zone. Yeah. Yes, I know, they were only together for eight months. It is surprising, mom. Yes, yes. I told you, mom, when I find someone, I'll get married. Yes, mom. I mean, think about it. Just think about it for a second. Free tea, free food, free Wi-Fi. Huh? Yeah, Russian prisoners are getting better service than passengers on Spirit Airlines. Spirit Airlines, you'll wish you were a prisoner of war. Meanwhile, 
the rest of the world continues to rally behind the Ukrainian people. And it's not just big steps, like more sanctions on Russian oligarchs or the International Criminal Court investigating Russia for war crimes. No, lots of places and lots of people you might not have even heard of, by the way, or not even thought of, are turning to Russia and saying, yet. EA Sports is now removing Russian teams from some of its biggest sports games. They include NHL 22, FIFA 22, FIFA Online, and FIFA Mobile. The Russian flag removed at Miami International Airport. Miami-Dade County Mayor Daniela Levine-Kava gave the order this morning in solidarity with Ukraine. The International Cat Federation has banned Russian cats from competition. Officials announced the rule against any cat belonging to Russian breeders or exhibitors, saying they could not, quote, witness these atrocities and do nothing. Wow. Even the International Cat Federation is turning against Russia. Which, by the way, I didn't even know existed. I don't know about you, but I did not know. And honestly, I'd be worried about pissing off the cat people. I mean, they take that shit seriously. You think Putin is scary? Imagine a Russian Carol Baskin. Hello, cool cats and kittens. And look, it is great. It is great that everyone is showing solidarity against Russia, but even cats are getting banned? Like... It's wild cats. I mean, where does it go next? At this point, I wouldn't be shocked if Donald Trump comes out and he's like, from now on, I will only get peed on by Ukrainian women. We're all in this together. I'm doing my part, doing my part. And EA Sports, yeah, EA Sports is taking Russian teams out of their video games, but Ukraine wants them to go even further, right? They're calling on video game companies to boycott Russia entirely. No games, turn it off, Fortnite, Warzone, everything. Turn it off. And if you ask me, that's the opposite of what they should be doing. Yeah, if you want to disrupt the Russian war effort, don't turn off the games. You should send everyone in Russia a free copy of Elden Ring. Don't stop the war dead in its tracks. Yeah, good luck invading when you're spending 40 hours just to get past the first boss. Is he an old man? Is he a tree? How is he so hard to fight? So yes, video game companies, airports, the cat community, everyone is coming together to do their part to show Russia that what they're doing is not cool. And one of the many reasons that this is not cool is not just because Russia is bombing a peaceful country that did nothing to antagonize them. No, it's also because by doing this, they've unleashed one of the worst humanitarian crises that Europe has ever seen. This Russian invasion is leading to another emergency unfolding at this hour. The humanitarian crisis just across Ukraine's borders. The United Nations Refugee Agency says at least one million Ukrainians have fled to neighboring countries, and then millions more could soon join them. Tonight, the crush to flee Ukraine. We were in this tunnel at the train station in Lviv. Refugees packed so tightly they could only shuffle forward parents clutching their children's hands. There've gotta be a thousand people in this tunnel right now, all of them pushing their way towards the last track here. A railway spokesperson saying every hour, five to 10,000 more people arrive at the Lviv station in Western Ukraine. Ukrainians are queuing for up to 20 hours trying to cross the border. Officials say this humanitarian crisis is only gonna get worse. This exodus we're seeing from Ukraine is the biggest number of people displaced in Europe in the shortest amount of time since World War II. God damn it, Vladimir Putin. Just imagine, just imagine, one day you're living a normal, peaceful, modern life, and the next day you're trekking to the Romanian border on foot. Just think about that for a second, right? We think the world has ended when our Wi-Fi goes down. These people don't know if they'll ever get to go home. One of the major costs of war is how many people get displaced. 
They have their lives totally uprooted. Like, we all think war is like Call of Duty. You know, you run in, you shoot, and then you reboot. But for most people, it's more like Oregon Trail. Less exciting, much harder, and way more depressing. And I think we can all agree that it's a bad thing, man. It is a bad thing when anything comes close to World War II levels, whether it's refugees, fighting, or wastelines. It's always bad. And this is what people forget about war. You know, because sometimes you hear about a war in, a, in another country, right? You hear about a war in another country and you think, oh, well, that's sad, but it's over there, so why should I care? But you should care. You should care. You know why? Because we're all interconnected in the modern age. Yeah, and that means the fallout of that war spreads all over. Whether it's the refugee crisis or the rising gas prices or the stock market, the ripple effects are everywhere. So in a way, Putin didn't just invade Ukraine. He's also invaded your gas tanks, right? He's invaded your grocery bill. He's invaded your social media feeds. Yeah, you just wanna scroll and look at thoughts. Now instead, it's thoughts and prayers. But one glimmer of hope, one glimmer of hope for these refugees is that all of Ukraine's neighboring countries are welcoming them with open arms. Ukraine's neighbors welcoming the refugees with open arms, a warm drink and a hug in Moldova. In Slovakia, a chance to watch cartoons. Ukrainians welcomed by Hungarian officials and aid workers. Each handed a solidarity ticket, a free seat on another train to the Hungarian capital where more help waits. You've got one European country after another saying that they will fast track applications for asylum. The European Union is talking about giving them three years of temporary residency so they can work, they can access benefits. In Poland, they have opened their borders, opened their arms to as many Ukrainian refugees as will arrive. We keep our borders open. The nationals of all countries who suffered from Russian aggression or whose life is at risk can seek shelter in my country. Poland's commissioner to the EU personally offered to host a family of refugees in his own home in Warsaw, but the refugees had found an alternative place to stay. This is amazing, people. All these countries in Europe have stepped up to take in all of these refugees. And what's also amazing is, if I heard correctly, the Polish commissioner to the EU offered to host a family of refugees in his home, but they said, no thanks, we found another place. I don't care what you say, that's gotta hurt. Yeah, you think you're helping refugees and they're like, wow, so is, uh, is that your kitchen? Uh, it's only been eight days, my standards haven't dropped that much. But still, seeing these refugees being greeted with open arms and full hearts, it gives, me, it gives me a glimmer of hope in this world, you know? To see, like, people helping people in need. I mean, it is interesting, though, that Eastern Europe has been so willing and able to accept a million people coming into their countries in just a few days, when just recently, just recently, they didn't seem to have any space for a different group of refugees. The humanitarian crisis in Europe continues to grow and increasingly expose fault lines, hundreds of thousands of refugees streaming in from Syria and elsewhere. But as the arguing continues, so does the suffering. As Europe struggles for a solution, refugees forced to zigzag from one country to another with no clear path. The EU has effectively paid Turkey to keep Syrians from getting to Greece. Poland had pledged to take in a number of the refugees, saying now that it is not going to do that. We will not be receiving migrants 
migrants from the Middle East and North Africa in Poland. This is Hungary's solution to the flood of refugees pouring in. A 13-foot fence topped with razor wire running about 115 miles along its border with Serbia. Police in ride gear told they can shoot rubber bullets at anyone who tries to cross. Hostility here in Hungary. Video shocking the world. The Hungarian camera woman kicking that girl as she runs from police. And this, as a man runs by carrying a small child, she trips him and he falls to the ground. Hungary's Prime Minister Viktor Orban had a message for the migrants themselves. The moral human thing is to make clear, please don't come. Hmm. That's really strange. When it's Syrians who are fleeing a war, it's all, we do not have space, do not come. But now this space and people must come, what changed? I mean, when the Syrians needed refuge, even the camera crew was drop-kicking families. Yeah, but now Ukrainians are getting accommodation, they're getting visas, they're getting work benefits, which, by the way, is good. It is a good thing. But I'm just saying, where's their dropkick? And look, we don't even have to speculate. We don't have to speculate about why they're treating Ukrainians so differently than refugees from Africa or from the Middle East. It's because the prime minister of Bulgaria, he came out and said it, right? He said, these are not the refugees we are used to. These people are Europeans. These people are intelligent. They are educated people. Yeah. It's a kind of a shocking thing to say. But at the same time, I will say, I'm impressed that the prime minister of Bulgaria has found the time to get to know all one million refugees that have fled Ukraine in the past week. He must be very efficient at making small talk. So where are you from? What you do? What you think? Aha, I like you. And please, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong here. I understand the arguments, right? I understand the arguments that these countries will make, right? That they have to think about how easy it is for refugees to integrate into their culture and society. I get that. I truly get that. It's just like it's easier for you to take in a family member who's in trouble than a random person who needs help. You know, like lots of kids got in one little fight with a couple of guys who were up to no good, but there's a reason Uncle Fool and Aunt Viv only took in Will. I get it. But it doesn't mean it's impossible. It doesn't mean it's impossible. And the problem I have is that when it's Syrians or Africans on a boat, these countries didn't even try to integrate them. They didn't even say women and children only, no. They reject even the chance that anyone brown could assimilate. Your skin is too dark. You couldn't possibly eat borscht. And I know right now, I know right now there's somebody who's like, ah, Trevor, again with the racism. What is it with black people and the racism? Always talking about racism. You know, I go years at a time without even thinking about racism. It's easy, why don't you try? Well, maybe the reason black people are always talking about racism is because racism is always happening to the black people. And we're seeing it again now in Ukraine. African and Indian students stuck in Ukraine are accusing officials of discriminating against them and pushing them back from getting to the border. This video posted to Twitter reads, watch how they are threatening to shoot us, saying they're at the Ukraine-Poland border. The police and army are refusing to let Africans cross. They only allow Ukrainians. Foreign students who faced segregation and racism at the border crossing to Poland, some say they were told they can't board buses there because they were meant for Ukrainians only. Videos have been posted on social media said to show black people being prevented from boarding a train and left stranded at a railway station in Lviv as Ukrainians were allowed on. One Congo native saying he was discriminated against while trying to board a train out of Ukraine. They even told us like, we are going to give you guns and you're gonna fight for Ukraine. I said, hi, we gonna fight for Ukraine? We are not Ukrainian, we are black. 
So how can we fight? How can we fight for Ukraine? Yeah, just think about this for a moment, huh? Black people, students, tourists, visitors, many of them are saying they cannot get out of the country. They can't get out because they're black. They just get blocked at the border. And for this guy, I mean, this is wild. Imagine being prevented from leaving the country and not just that, but they say like, no, no, not only can you not leave, you have to grab a gun and fight. That is insane. People from other countries haven't been told that they have to fight. Why does he, huh? The British person gets to go. The African guy, no, no, you're staying. We've watched Beasts of No Nation. We know you guys know how to handle yourselves. This is what you guys do. That's not fair, man. When you go to another country, you don't expect that they might be conscripting you into a war. You don't think you're gonna be fighting in their army. Like, I'll tell you now, the Louvre would get a lot few visitors if they were like, oh, come and see the Mona Lisa, take a selfie with Venus. Maybe you fight for us in the war. Ah, have you seen the pyramids? <laughs> Welcome. It's extremely weird. It's extremely weird to ask some random African guy to fight for Ukraine. Why is that expected of him? Why can't he join the fight the way white people from other countries do? By posting an Insta story of the Ukrainian flag with a little heart emoji. I'm here for you, Ukraine. But that's not the point. The bigger point is that there seems to be a widespread discrimination against people of color who are trying to flee a war zone. And it's nuts. It's really nuts to see border guards suddenly turn into club bouncers. Everybody on the bus, everybody on the bus. Oh, hold on, hold on. No hoodies, no sneakers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, and the hot, the hot friend. Yeah, she can come up. Not to mention, it's gonna be super confusing for the Russian army when they roll into Kiev and then there's only black people left. Uh, comrades, I think we took wrong turn somewhere. <laughs> I told you, don't use Apple Maps, use Waze. And look, I know because of these stories, there are many Africans and many Middle Easterners who are seeing these videos and they're like, you know what? Screw Ukraine. If they're gonna be racist, Putin can take Ukraine and he can have Poland for dessert. For real, that's what a lot of people are saying. You can see it online. People are angry because they're like, how can you let racism get in the way of getting people out of the way of war? But I think rather than this being a moment to turn on each other, this refugee crisis should be a reminder that refugee is not a synonym for brown person. Anyone could become a refugee. It's a thing that happens to you. It's not who you are. And who knows? You know, maybe one day you might be a refugee. I hope it doesn't happen to you, but it could. And if God forbid that day comes, wouldn't you want someone without any prejudice in their heart to open their doors to you, to welcome you into their home so that you can look around their house and say, ah, thanks. I think I can do better. All right, when we come back, Desi Lydic will take a look at the history of bras. And the one and only Serena Williams is joining us on the show. You don't wanna miss it. Welcome back to The Daily Show. As you know, as you should know, March is Women's History Month. And to celebrate, we turn to Desi Lydic, where she doesn't explore history, but his hurry. Bras, also known as brassieres, or more formally, over-the-shoulder boulder holders. The histories of women and their bras have been pushed together and held there for as long as we can remember. And you can always tell a lot about what's going on with women in society by how their breasts are being stored. From the ancient Romans wearing bandeau-style sports bras for athletic competitions, to the women of the early aughts who shot whipped cream out of their bras as a way to destigmatize public breastfeeding. 
When I was nursing, I could never quite get my milk to come out that frothy. One of the earliest versions of the bra was in the Middle Ages, when women could wear two fabric bags over their breasts inside their clothing. These ladies didn't have time for cute underwear. It was the 1300s. They were more concerned with finding new recipes for gruel and not dying from a paper cut. For a while, during the French Revolution and Victorian eras, bras took a backseat to corsets, which ever so gently molded a woman's body into that super desirable hourglass figure. <gasps> because nothing is sexier than a woman who might be filled with sand. Luckily, by the end of the 19th century, a French woman named Hermine Cadal had designed the first modern bra by cutting a corset in two and sewing it into something that was then considered lingerie and would now be considered school clothes on Euphoria. It gave women more freedom than the traditional corset, but it was still impossible to take your bra off through your shirt in the locker room at Planet Fitness. Be right there! Don't start Zumba without me! Thankfully, in 1914, a 19-year-old named Caress Crosby invented a bra that ditched the corset altogether. Crosby wanted a bra to wear to her debutante ball that was actually comfortable, so she made one herself out of two handkerchiefs tied together with a ribbon. It turned out to be a huge hit at the ball, probably because in a corset bra, the only dance women could do was the robot. And no one likes the person at the party doing the robot, especially before robots were invented. She's possessed! Fetch Father Mulcahy! <sighs> With her new bra, Caress Crosby and women everywhere were liberated. Except for the fact that they were still women in 1914. But aside from that, liberated. Crosby's bra was a hit, but it continued to evolve. And by the 1950s, new styles led to an all-out boob party. Bras became an intrinsic part of fashion, with underwires and padding allowing women to emulate the stars of the era, like Marilyn Monroe and Jane Mansfield. An ample bosom was as synonymous with 1950s womanhood as not having a bank account or getting excited when you get a vacuum for your anniversary. And it wasn't just about the curves. Thanks to torpedo bras, it was also about the pointiness, which may look a little odd now, but at the time, it was the Cold War, so it made sense to have extra missiles on hand in case Russia invaded. But while bras were supporting women, not all women were supporting bras. In fact, by the late 1960s, going braless became a fashion statement. Boobs were free to hang and move around and swing as much as all the couples at the party. It was a great time for boobs, except for all the polyester they were rubbing against for the first time. But contrary to popular belief, burning bras was never actually a thing. What did happen is that in 1968, demonstrators were protesting the Miss America pageant for being sexist, racist, and forcing women to solve world peace in 10 seconds. I mean, at least five minutes to do that. So protesters tossed symbols of their oppression into what they referred to as the freedom trash can, which also happens to be what I call the dumpster outside Whole Foods. And those symbols of oppression included bras, but they never actually set them on fire. That's just a myth, like mild menstrual cramps or the male orgasm. I'll believe it when I see it. But by that point, bras were so ingrained in society that many people struggled with the idea that they could be optional. The idea took hold that not wearing a bra was somehow inappropriate or unprofessional. Like in 1990, when a woman in Arkansas was found in contempt of court when the judge said her breasts were obviously showing through her shirt. Objection, Your Honor. My right to a fair trial is up here. 
And only a few years ago, a Florida high school student was forced to put band-aids over her nipples at school. That's a trip to the school nurse that will also send you to the school psychiatrist. I'm just kidding. American schools can't afford those. But for those who want to wear them, it's a great time for bras right now. Bra designers are no longer telling women what they should be wearing. Instead, they're listening to what women want to wear. There are so many comfortable options now, from athleisure to sports bras. Women can live a life where they aren't being squeezed like an empty tube of toothpaste. And there's no telling what the future of bras will be like. Maybe 20 years from now, all bras will be NFTs. Who knows? Not me, I literally don't know what that means. But whatever form bras take, there's one thing that you can always count on. They will lose their shape in the dryer. But only if you wash them in the first place. Thank you so much, Desi. All right, when we come back, the one and only Serena Williams will be joining me on the show, so don't go away. Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is legendary tennis champion and entrepreneur, Serena Williams. She's here to talk about her venture fund and being an executive producer of the hit film, King Richard. Serena Williams, welcome to The Daily Show. Thank you for having me. It's truly an honor to have you here, especially at a, at a moment like this in life, you know, because it's not every day that I or anybody gets to talk to one of the greatest of all time in any aspect, you know, um, you've, you've conquered the tennis court, but now it seems like Serena's gonna be conquering the business world in a really meaningful way. Serena Ventures, congratulations. The last I heard, you, you raised, is it 111 million for, for the venture capital firm? Yes, yes, we did. And, you know, I realized uh, I've actually been investing for about nine years. And then I realized that, you know, the venture capital ecosystem really needs uh, more inclusive people, really. Um, when I learned that less than 2% at the time of women got funding from all VC money, I just, honestly, I didn't believe that stat. And so I thought it was necessary for me to enter in, in a legit way. And so I just kept building Serena Ventures for years. And, and now here we are, we're raising our first fund at 111 million. It's, it's a really powerful place to begin a journey because, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, on the ground, I mean, myself included, many years ago, I didn't know what venture capital was. I didn't understand the importance of venture capital. I didn't understand that, like, that becomes the seed that essentially grows the tree that is the biggest companies that we see on every stock exchange, you know? And so if you can get people in on the ground there, you can change their lives forever. Why did you decide to jump into a world that, I mean, does not play nice, isn't like the, the, the friendliest environment, especially to women and then especially to women of color? Yeah, so for me, um, it was really important just just that. Like, it's on the ground floor where you want more diversity and where you want more people involved. And that's where if you're looking to create, you know, wealth or however you want to look at it, that's where it starts, you know, and it's no better way to start there. Also, I love technology. I have a natural love and just thing that I just love about technology and I've always wanted to invest in these companies and always wanted to just kind of be a part of it, which hence my journey that started so long ago um, into, into venture. And then eventually when you invest in early stage, so we do early stage investing. And when you do that, you're really able to not only help um, how a company thinks and how a company performs, but also the first hires of a company. Um, so those first five, the first 10 are so key. But if you really help a company shape how they hire, then it has a, a better chance to succeed, but it also has a better chance to um, think of in inviting everyone to the table. One of the craziest things I saw um, 
I mean, everyone saw it. You responded to on Twitter. Was the New York Times posting about, you know, like they, they, they had an article about your, your venture capital firm and the money and everything, but then they used your sister's picture. What you said was really powerful, but I wondered from your point of view, like what was the, what was the emotion behind it? Like, w- were you hurt? Were you disappointed? Were you angry? <laughs> well, honestly, um, me playing tennis in a sport that has been predominantly, you know, white, especially when I first started, you can't allow yourself to get too upset about those things and, and emotionally take that home, especially if you're a mom or you have a family. It's it's definitely not something you want to be involved in. You def- definitely have to just, you know, just understand, say something about it like I did and let it go. For me, it was really just about letting people know that there's still that's this is why I started this fund, you know, because there's still space that needs to happen. There are things yeah. that need to happen that we need mm-hmm. to grow upon. And so that was really important for me. I couldn't help feeling from your response that like that was a little bit of, you know, your mom and dad coming through. Now I haven't met them, but I'm one of the millions of people who've watched the movie and I feel like I've met your that family because it, it's true though. It's, it, it's, it, that's how I felt, but thank you for that. Um, it, it's, it, it felt like, you know, the Williams family has this tenacious attitude. The Williams family goes like, hey, we're gonna address BS when we see it, but we're not gonna let it derail us from what we do. Is it weird to see Will Smith as your dad? You know, it was, it definitely was. I've gotten so used to it now, but <laughs> now when I see you, I'm like, hey dad. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in the beginning it was definitely weird because it just was just weird. But he did such a great job of just um, becoming Richard Williams to a point where it was, it was actually like I was looking at my dad or really remembering those moments when, um, when we were together and when we were younger and, um, it, it, it's really amazing how he, everything that he did in that film. It does feel like King Richard was just the origin story for, you know, a burgeoning world. Like, you know, the sequels, the sequels. Because when the movie ends, and I won't spoil it for people who haven't seen it, all I want to do is see your movie now. I want to see your sister's movie. I want to see your family. <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm like, wait, 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 wait. What, what do you mean this is it? I want to, well, wait, I, I couldn't believe it was over. Yeah. I thought it was just getting started. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that journey's a really special one. I, I would love to know, how your family managed to keep the love between and your sister so intense, even when there were so many moments for the two of you to have resentment towards each other, because you don't, you, you love mm-hmm. each other, you support each other, and yet you compete against each other. Mm. And that's really important because again, like when you asked me about the New York Times piece, it was like, well, we can't allow that to affect our lives. And we grew up and we still are extremely spiritual people and um, really have a great grind, great base of faith. And we know that we have so much more to look forward to. And then we also know that at the end of the day, like tennis lasts, you know, 10 years, 20 years or whatever, but family lasts forever. And even when I'm playing my sister, I always think, okay, this is just for this moment. This is just for this day. And even if, you know, we're emotional about it for a couple of days later, like she's always going to be my flesh and blood and nothing else is going to ever come in between that. And so it was, it's really important for, um, us to kind of feel that and just why so much just kind of roll off our shoulders and we just kind of just, just go with it. Um, I have a few personal While questions. While making a statement. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a few personal questions, just as a fan from my side. So, number one, who, so who's responsible for your backhand? We didn't really get the answer in the movie. I mean, your mom claims the credit, your dad wants to claim the credit. Who made oh. the Serena backhand? Um, 
It was definitely a combination of both, but I spent a lot of time on the court with my mom growing up um, when I was in that age. But when I got a little older, it was just, I was spending more time with my dad. So it's definitely a mix. Okay, and then with regards to your daughter, she has two parents who come from extremely different worlds. I mean, the worlds are merging now, funny enough, but you know, you've got the tech dad and then you've got like the superstar sports mom. What's the thing that she sort of gravitates towards more? If you put like a computer in front of her or a tennis racket, what's the first thing she'd grab? Well, probably the computer because it has, you know, all her little TV shows on it and, you know, the movies. <laughs> so definitely that. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'm just, I'm a fan of tennis and I definitely root for her to play, but also I'm like, you know, it could be a lot of pressure. So definitely looking at her playing different sports and, you know, we haven't quite decided. And it's so, it's so interesting now how parents, I could say, I think, think of it because it's like, you know, my parents had a whole plan and we're just like, well, you know, we'll see if she wants to do this or it's a completely different thing. And um, yeah, that's just, I don't, yeah, I, I don't know. My dad and my mom were really amazing. And personally, I don't know if I could have done it. I think you, I think you can do it because you're a product of theirs. I think you're doing it already. Serena Williams, thank you for joining me on the show. Congratulations thank on you. everything you've done. Venture capital, conquering the court. Um, congrats to your family and thank you for being here with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. King Richard is available in select theaters on VOD and, of course, DVD. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, in honor of Women's History Month, The Daily Show has partnered with Lolly Lolly Ceramics to create three special edition Daily Show mugs. Yeah, all month long, Lolly Lolly's mugs will be right here on our desk. And each Thursday night, we'll be putting up a few of them online for you to buy. So if you want to support a Black-owned, women-run small business and look fresh while drinking your coffee or whatever you want, head to the link below. Until next time, stay safe out there, get your vaccine, and remember, don't get captured by Ukrainians because they're going to insist you have lunch even if you already ate. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 